In John chapter 16, just before his death, Jesus mentions an hour that would belong to the world. But hours are relatively short when they're compared to a whole day. Jesus gives his disciples this important perspective. The world will have its hour, but the Lord always responds with his day. Welcome to episode 21, The World's Hour versus the Day of the Lord. Well, welcome back to the Rethinking Scripture podcast, where we like to rethink things that we thought we already knew about the Bible. I'm Greg Hall, your host, and it is November, and that means I'm ready to launch something. I'm ready to launch an All-America Listener Challenge. I talked about it briefly at the beginning of the last episode, and this is where I'll be asking for just a little bit of help. This is still a relatively new podcast, but since the first episode last summer, we've had listeners in 22 of the 50 United States, and that's pretty good. And I also want to say, you know who you are, and thank you very much. (laughs) But I'm trying to attract a publisher for a book manuscript that I have on biblical rest, and publishers, it turns out, are interested in social platforms. (laughs) And turns out I don't have a giant one yet, but I'm working on it. And that's what this is about. They want to know that I've got listeners across the country. So we want this to become an all America podcast with listeners in all 50 states. And I'm asking for your help to build our internet community. So what can you do? (laughs) Well, thanks for asking. (laughs) At RethinkingScripture.com, I've posted a nice little visual map and a list of the cities and states where you all have been listening. So first, you can just go and check out the map and make sure that your city is represented properly there, wherever it is that you've been listening. But that's not all. Also on the website, I have a list of the states where we still haven't had a single download. So here's my question to you. Do you have family in the Midwest? (laughs) Because I'm lacking in the Midwest specifically. Are your in-laws in New England? That's another question I have. Do you have any friends attending college in the Dakotas? (laughs) In other words, who do you know that would be willing to give this podcast a listen? I would just ask you to head on over to RethinkingScripture.com. Have fun with looking at that map and imagining what part of the green dots you represent on there. And just welcome you to keep track of the weekly updates for the All America Listener Challenge. And I'm just wondering, can we even get to 50 out of 50 by Christmas? That may be a lofty goal, but I am excited to see that map change. And the only way that's going to happen is if you people jump on board with me and make it happen. And I'm excited to see what we can do. And for goodness sakes, let's give my publisher, whoever it may end up being, a compelling reason other than the amazing content to publish my first book. Well, that's about as close to a commercial as uh, we've ever had here on the podcast, so I apologize for that. But it's over, and we're ready to just dive into this week's episode, John chapter 16. And specifically, again, we're looking at this idea of the world having an hour where it conducts its business. But in the grand scheme of things, biblically speaking, the Lord always has his day. There are a couple ideas that will hover around here in John chapter 16 as we look at that idea. So let's just dive into the chapter and see how it all plays out. 
And let's just start in verse one of the chapter. Uh, there's a couple of interesting things in this first verse. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. So we find out from that statement that Jesus is wanting his disciples not to stumble, probably much more than a physical stumbling that he's referring to there. But he says, these things I've spoken. And the question would be, anytime I come across a statement like that, these things, just ask what things? (laughs) What is he talking about when he says these things? Because it could just be referring to something in the previous sentence only, And if that's the case, we'd want to identify that. But it could also cover a large portion of Scripture where he's been telling his disciples many things. And I think that's the key here. We've had this upper room discourse, this teaching, this long, in-depth teaching of Jesus, where he's told his disciples many things. And here, as he gets towards the end of that process, he's starting to conclude some thoughts. And what he's saying in this first verse is these things, these things over the last, since chapter 13, I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Well, let's just remind ourselves exactly what some of those things are. So first, I made a small list for myself, washing one another's feet and being each other's servants. I've talked to you about that to keep you from stumbling. Interesting. The new commandment where you love one another, I've spoken to you. The fact that you can't come with me now, but the Father and I will come and make our abode within you through the Holy Spirit. I've spoken about that to keep you from stumbling. And I've also spoken about the Holy Spirit being your helper, and that through the Holy Spirit, I will give you my peace and my love and my joy. And in this way, you will also be producing fruit that on your own, you're incapable of producing. Jesus has been mentioning all of these things. And these these are aspects of the gospel that we've spoken of in previous episodes. And all of these collectively, Jesus is bringing back to their memory in a summary statement here, these things, that the Father will tend to you like a vine dresser, and he will allow you to be in the world, but won't allow you to be of the world. Through his tending and through your abiding with me, you will develop even more fruit of the Spirit. And he's also told his disciples, because you look like me, the world will hate you like they hate me. And this is all a part of the plan. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to hold them accountable so you don't have to worry about that. I've taken the time to tell you these things so that you won't stumble on your way out of the synagogue and on toward your death. Well, I I don't know if you saw that coming, (laughs) but that's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying these things that I've been talking about, what you're about to experience will cause most people to stumble, but I have told you these things so that you won't stumble because you're going to be kicked out of the synagogues and because you will likely die for being attached to me through faith. And here's where the hour comment comes in. Verse 2, it's really early in the chapter. He says, not only will they make you outcasts in the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. 
And this isn't brand new. I mean, the disciples have seen this happen throughout Jesus's public ministry. If you just walk back through the gospel just a little bit with me, um, in John chapter 9, there was a man who was blind and he was healed. And it says in chapter 9, verse 22, that the blind man's parents were afraid of being put out of the synagogue if they confessed Jesus to be the Christ. In verse 34 of chapter 9, that blind man eventually was put out of the synagogue himself. And just a little bit later following that, Jesus said words to him so that he too would not stumble on his way out of the synagogue. And then in chapter 10, we have the two sheepfolds presented. We talked about that in a previous episode. Jesus gives the picture of leading his sheep out of the first sheep pen, and it's the religious system of their day. But here in chapter 16, in verse 2 of the chapter, it says, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. And that will be the case because of their attachment to Jesus. But Jesus says, an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. There will be death occurring And the people that caused the death to happen will think for an hour, for a short period of time, that they are actually doing service to God by committing that murder. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, Jesus says. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And Jesus is just giving them a heads up that his time with them is quickly coming to a close. But he's also letting them know that he has equipped them for what lies ahead. And a part of that equipping is Jesus letting them know that those in the world will have their hour. It is the hour to which Jesus is called, and his disciples will be subjected to this same hour. He's letting them know ahead of time. And we actually get to see this play out in the book of Acts. And I'm going to specifically go to Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, where we get to hear directly from Paul about what he was doing persecuting believers in Jesus. Verse 9, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, And as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Out of Paul's mouth himself, this is what Jesus is warning the disciples against on the night of his arrest. It's that type of behavior, the world's hour, that might cause the disciples to stumble. And so Jesus front loads them with enough information to get them through that relatively short period of time. Now, is it really just 60 minutes, an hour is what we're talking about? No. And in fact, it's worthy of a few comments about the author's use of time in the writing of his gospel. And for this, I'm going to reference an article by Gail R. O'Day. 
O'Day was the editor of the Journal of Biblical Literature from 1999 to 2006, and she was the dean and professor of New Testament and preaching at Wake Forest University School of Divinity from 2010 until her death in 2018. But back in 1991, O'Day wrote a journal article entitled, I Have Overcome the World, John 16, Narrative Time in John 13 through 17. I'll put all the information about the article in the show notes. I wanted to just quote a little from her intro here. And she says this, The fluidity with which the fourth evangelist, that's John, uses time in chapters 13 through 17 suggests the need to move beyond taxonomic study of temporal order to a study of the literary and theological functions of time in the farewell discourse. Through its use of narrative time, the farewell discourse demonstrates what is the overriding theological reality for the community of believers. God and Jesus are not limited by conventional constructions of past, present, and future. So let me just break away from the article for a second and unpack what she's trying to get at. She just is looking at John chapter 13 through 17, which we've been doing for several weeks now. And in those chapters, what she has noticed is that John, the author, uses time several different places in several different ways. And if we're just going back and looking at these time references, thinking about them in a linear format, like on a timeline, we might get a little confused at what Jesus is saying and what his timeline really is. The conclusion that she's come to is when we get to John's use of temporal language, time language, what we need to realize is that when Jesus talks about his timeline or the time that God recognizes, our use of a timeline quickly flies out the window. So I'll just read a little bit more and we'll get a little feel for her argument with some examples. How about that? O'Day continues, the farewell discourse in John 13 through 17 is a rich text to investigate from a perspective of narrative time. Throughout the discourse, the temporal focus seems to shift constantly. At times, Jesus speaks as if the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension were a past event. But at other times, he speaks as if his departure from the world is imminent. And still at other times, He speaks as if he were in the process of departing at that very moment. So she concludes that the narrative function of time and temporal sequence, thus, is a pivotal concern for the farewell discourse. So what are some examples? Well, a little bit later in the article, she uh, actually outlines a few of these. And one of her points is what we've already been talking about, that Jesus seems to bring the future to the present for his disciples. He front loads them with some information, knowing what's coming so that they, when they get to the future, won't stumble. A few examples. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. That's from Chapter 13, verse 19. 1429. And now I've told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. You see what Jesus is doing. In 1511, I have said these things to you so that my joy be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
Here in chapter 16, verses 1 and 4, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling, but I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. At the end of chapter 16, verse 33, I've said this to you so that in me you may have peace. Jesus is front-loading his disciples to let them know what the future is going to be like. And it's not all pleasant. But he gives them enough information ahead of time to not stumble through the future that lies ahead. And I just want to break away from our study of John a little bit and in the weeds of O'Day's article and just talk about a little practicality. My wife loves it when I do this. It just seems obvious to me, having lived as much life as I've lived as a person of faith, that uh, when I'm about to head into something, I've been front-loaded by the Word of God and by Scripture as well in a similar way to these disciples. That's what Jesus does. He front loads them. That's why we study the Bible. We're being front loaded information about how we can get through that that's ahead of us, that we're about to wade into, that we have no idea what it is. But Jesus does. And he's front loaded us. And I just think this is a, just a very profound fact of why we should be studying Scripture And not just thinking about it the way we've always thought about it, because some of that front-loading has been misunderstood and needs to be rethought. And so as we go through this process on this podcast and in your own personal study, at your churches, in your fellowship groups, your Bible studies, just think of it all as a front-loading process, because we don't know what's ahead. I mean, we have an idea. I know we're going to (laughs) die. Sorry to let that one out of the bag. We're all headed towards that end. And I also know that it's going to be painful between here and there. And knowing as little as I do about that road that we're all on, front-loading truth, I think is critically important. O'Day concludes this whole line of reasoning this way. Jesus declares that through his words, he is bringing the future into the present so that when the future arrives, the disciples will recognize it and embrace what it offers. And this is what we've been talking about. The opponents of God will have their hour, but the Lord has his day. And it's a phrase that refers to the time when God exacts judgment on the world. But the real question is, what does that look like here in John chapter 16? Well, traditionally, the day of the Lord That phraseology in theology has followed Augustine, also sometimes referred to as Augustine, by the way, who wrote about it in 426 AD in his book, The City of God. And this is from book 20, uh, his argument. And it's concerning the last judgment about this day of the Lord. If the world does have its hour, what does the day of the Lord look like? And, And oftentimes the way we're tempted to think about it is that yet future day. And that's Partially true. The day of the Lord is a yet future event, but the idea of the Lord's day and his judgment is much bigger than that. It's not a point in time idea, maybe the way we've thought about it before. Augustine says this concerning the last judgment and the declarations regarding it in the Old and New Testaments that although God is always judging, it is nevertheless reasonable to confine our attention in this book, his book number 20 to his last judgment. But to clarify, Augustine says this, the whole church of the true God holds and professes as its creed that Christ shall come from heaven to judge 
the quick and the dead. That's just the people that are alive and the people that are no longer alive. This we call the last day or last time of the divine judgment. For we do not know how many days this judgment may occupy, but no one who reads scripture, however neglectantly, needs to be told that in them, day is customarily used for time. And when we speak of the day of God's judgment, we add the word last or final for this reason, because even now, Augustine says, God judges and has judged from the beginning of human history. So breaking away from Augustine's work there in the city of God and his ideas about the last day or the final judgment, the day of the Lord. It's all true that we're headed towards a final day, but his emphasis is, and I think this makes sense, that throughout time in history, God has had his day in multiple different settings and at multiple different times. And in that way, the world continually over and over again, will have its hour. But those hours are short-lived in comparison to the judgment that God brings to those that don't follow him. And that is represented by this idea of day, a longer stretch of time, a more permanent idea than an hour. And so we, in our generation, will experience this too. We'll experience the world having its hour. But the truth of the scripture is that although we are looking forward to a day of the Lord, a yet future final judgment, we can also expect that at certain times, even in our generation, the Lord will have his day. He will bring judgment. And it'll be a righteous judgment. It's not a vindictive thing that we need to look forward to. It's just setting things right that are upside down. And in John 16, Jesus talks about that happening in their generation. It's not a final judgment that Jesus is talking about in his last discourse here. He's talking about what's happening in his context. In verses 16 through 19, he says this, In a little while you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Well, What does in a little while mean? And some people have grown up thinking this is referring to Jesus' second coming, that in a little while you'll no longer see me, and again, in a little while, you will see me because I will come again at my second coming. They read it that way. A yet future event to even our time in our generation. And that might be a possibility, but I think a better fit is for just his resurrection. And listen to what Jesus says just shortly after that in verse 23. He says, in that day, you will not question me about anything. In what day? In the day of his return. In the day of the Lord. The world will have its hour, and that'll put him in the grave. But in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And jumping down to verse 26, in that day, you will ask in my name. And Jesus says he will request of the Father on your behalf. What is Jesus talking about in that day? What day of the Lord is he talking about? He's not talking about the end day, the one yet future to us. Jesus is saying 
that in the day after the world has its hour on my body and I come back and I ascend to heaven, there will be a day when you have access to everything. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to his disciples and he says, in a little while, this is going to happen. He's front-loading them. He's front-loading them with the idea that a day is coming after the hour they're about to have to walk through when they will ask Jesus for nothing, but they will ask the Father for anything in Jesus's name. It's a day when they will receive something from the Father, and through this, their joy will be made full. So let me just ask, what is a gift from the Father that will produce the gift of joy? (laughs) When and how will Jesus tell them plainly of the Father? How is it that Jesus will tell them plainly of the Father after he's gone? This sounds just like a work of the Spirit. Jesus had already promised that he will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach you all things. And I think that day to which Jesus is referencing is the day when that Holy Spirit was given. It's the day of the Lord. And in that context, we can see the day of Pentecost as a day of judgment. People were being distinguished as the Father's possession, and others were being identified as never having known the Father. And that in and of itself is a day of judgment. Well, that's all I've got for today. And just a reminder that at RethinkingScripture.com, let me say that again nice and slow, RethinkingScripture.com, you'll find Bible studies, not just for the book of John, but also the Gospel of Matthew as well. And I've even got a whole project on the biblical understanding of rest at the website, ready for your consumption. You can go find it under the Bible Studies tab on the website. And don't forget the All America Listener Challenge. I'm serious about this. Who do you know that doesn't live near you? You haven't reached out to them in a while. I know it because I haven't reached out to my people either. Who could you call this week? I'm excited to see that happen. In the next episode, we'll move further into Jesus's discussion with his disciples the night of his arrest, and we'll examine how Jesus's high priestly prayer fit into the theme of Jesus as the temple. And let me just say, it's going to be a fascinating look at the literary design of John's gospel. Thanks again for listening. And please take some time to rate, review, and especially recommend to all your American friends the Rethinking Scripture podcast. Mm -hmm.